You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and on today's episode, superstar Gabrielle Union is gonna be joining us. We'll also be talking to Senator Tim Scott about leading the Republican efforts on police reform, and we tell white people how to get involved in racial justice. Turns out following Oprah on Instagram isn't enough. But before all that, let's catch up on today's headlines. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's begin with the police. If you're black, you know them as the guys who pull you over. If you're white, you know them as the guys that give lap dances at the bachelorette parties. For three weeks since the killing of George Floyd, millions of people around the country have been calling for the police to be reined in. And after weeks of local leaders responding to the protests, today the president himself carefully shuffled down the ramp into the fray. Now, Trump's orders today were a little confusing because he signed an executive order that would make modest changes. For instance, it would introduce a database that would track police misconduct. But then there's also a new thing that would encourage police departments not to use chokeholds, saying that the chokeholds should not be used unless an officer felt like his life was in danger, which means the thing can be used, but it can't be used, but it can be used. And also, when Trump came out to make these remarks, it just felt like his heart wasn't in it. Americans believe we must support the brave men and women in blue who police our streets and keep us safe. Americans know the truth. Without police, there is chaos. Without law, there is anarchy. And without safety, there is catastrophe. Americans want law and order. They demand law and order. They may not say it, They may not be talking about it, but that's what they want. Some of them don't even know that's what they want, but that's what they want. We will have reform without undermining our many great and extremely talented law enforcement officers. President Obama and Vice President Biden never even tried to fix this during their eight-year period. You know, Donald Trump is always constantly downplaying the number of bad cops. But I mean... If bad cops was a minor problem, you wouldn't have huge protests in every city. You'd just be able to point at the bad cop and be like, hey, Gary, cut that shit out. So Trump signed an executive order that's supposed to cut down on police violence, but he spent the whole time praising the police. Yeah, the only paper Trump has signed with less enthusiasm were his first two marriage certificates. And Trump's executive order clearly doesn't have much teeth, but some places are taking steps that really could make a difference. New York, has just disbanded a 600-member undercover unit with a long history of abuse. And San Francisco and Albuquerque are now saying that soon, when some residents call 911, they won't get the police at all. Instead, calls for situations involving drug overdoses, the homeless, and people in mental distress will be answered by an unarmed professional who is trained in those fields. And I mean, I think we can all agree that this is long overdue in America. Police in America do too much. So if you can avoid bringing armed police to these situations in the first place, that should be the goal. Because wherever a gun is present, it means that there's a chance the gun is gonna go off. If there's a gun in a club and a fight breaks out, there's a chance that a gun is gonna go off in the club. If kids are playing and there's a gun around, there's a chance that that gun is gonna go off around the kids. 
If there's a couple fighting and there's a gun around, there's a chance that that gun is gonna go off. Having a gun gives every tense situation the potential to end in death. I mean, think of the last time you played Monopoly. Now imagine that there was a gun there. Yeah, it was gonna turn into a Tarantino movie. That's what would happen. And I know this seems like a radical idea to some people, you know? Some of you are like, what do you mean you're not gonna send the cops? What do you mean? But if you think about it, it's the same thing we did with Ghostbusters over 30 years ago. Yeah, think about it. They used to send cops out when the ghost showed up. And then at some point they realized the cops were not the right people to deal with the ghost issue. So they created the ghost busters. They didn't have guns. They had ghost vacuum cleaners. It worked way better and it was also funnier. In fact, maybe more people would get on board with this idea if we just made up a cool name for the social workers that we send out. You know, who are you gonna call? Systemic societal issue busters. Now, as the protests have gone on, the focus of the protests has expanded from the police abuses to other forms of systemic racism. A lot of attention has been given to Confederate monuments, but in New Mexico, the big debate is about a statue of a different brutal man from history. Let's get to New Mexico, where a man was shot last night at a protest over a statue of a Spanish conquistador. Demonstrators were trying to tear down the statue while also clashing with members of a self-appointed armed civilian militia who had vowed to protect the statue. The victim is in critical but stable condition right now. Several people believed to be militia members involved in the shooting are now in custody while police investigate. The city says the statue will now be taken down for public safety reason. Okay, first of all, the fact that the news can just say the phrase self-appointed armed civilian militia like it's normal tells you that something is very wrong in America. Because in Africa, we just call those rebel forces. We're not, ah, look at those self-appointed militia who have gathered together to overthrow somebody. Ah, yes, yes. But much like the debate over Confederate statues, this debate is about why in America anyone would have a statue honoring a 16th century Spanish conquistador, who, by the way, enslaved and massacred hundreds of indigenous people. And to me, this just shows you the problem with statues in general. We don't need statues anymore, people. Doesn't matter who they for, we don't need statues. Statues are like tweets. They might work at the time. The time you make them, they seem cool. But if you leave them up for too long, at some point, they're gonna become problematic. If you ask me, statues shouldn't be built to last forever. They should be designed to naturally dissolve after a few years, you know, like a Hollywood marriage. And then once it crumbles, you can decide as society whether it's worth rebuilding, like a Hollywood face. You know, now you're changing the whole dynamic of the debate. Because think about it, it's a lot easier for people to fight and say, oh, look, let's just leave up the statue, it's part of our history. It's a lot harder to argue, okay, guys, we need to raise money for a new Bill Cosby statue. And just by the way, why does a 16th century Spanish conquistador have such a devoted, angry fan club to begin with. Who are you people? Why is this your hero? Why can't you be obsessed with Beyonce like a normal person? That's who you should shoot people for, Beyonce. Conquistadors, they're not even here. They don't have any number one hits. No one's singing Conquistador songs. All the Conquistadors, all the Conquistadors, that wasn't a hit. And maybe the biggest sign of the power of the Black Lives Matter movement right now is that it's even changing America's cultural institutions. Just look at the NFL which is surprising everyone with a high-profile reversal. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell weighing in on quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who has not played since 2016 when he first started kneeling during the national anthem to protest racial inequality. Well, Goodell now saying he encourages a team to sign Kaepernick. I welcome that, uh, support the club making that decision. 
and encourage them to do that. Goodell again says he and the league were wrong to oppose the kneeling protests started by Kaepernick. We should have listened to our players earlier. Our players, uh, including Colin Kaepernick. God damn. All of a sudden, Roger Goodell wants Colin Kaepernick back in the league. No one from the NFL has been jerked around this much since Robert Kraft went to that massage parlor. You know, this move by the NFL is a lot like when your parent finally admits you were right, but it's like a decade after they already punished you. It's like, oh, thanks for giving me my disc man back. I guess now I'll go try and find some CDs. And yeah, I know some people will say, oh, hiring Colin Kaepernick and taking down statues is just putting a Band-Aid on the problem. To which Band-Aid replied, no, this is putting a Band-Aid on the problem. Band-Aid is looking to be more inclusive. The brand is launching a new line of bandages in different skin tones from beige to dark brown. The company, which is owned by Johnson & Johnson, says the move is meant to, quote, embrace the beauty of diverse skin. No words on when these new bandages will be available in stores. Yes, after 100 years of existence, Band-Aids are finally discovering that some people are not white. Sadly, it's too little too late for Nelly. And don't get me wrong, I think it's long overdue for racial minorities to have products that recognize their existence. And it's just a little weird that Elmo got Band-Aids before black people. I also hope that they stop at a few shades, because if you give people too many options, it's gonna become a problem. Yeah, you'll be bleeding out in the store like, oh, oh, I'm bleeding, no, not that one, no, that's not, no, no, Uh, I spent a bit of time in the sun, not that one, no, no, the other one, yeah, that's nice, that's nice. Oh, and uh, while you're at the drugstore to buy the new black Band-Aids, you can also pick up some black beauty products with a lot less hassle than you had before. Walmart says they will no longer put multicultural hair and beauty products inside locked cases at their stores. This practice took place in about a dozen U.S. stores, which customers claim serve more urban and less affluent communities. Walmart told NBC News that the company is sensitive to the issue and understands the concerns, and the changes are now being implemented as soon as possible. Yeah, can you imagine? For years, Walmart and other drugstores have been locking up black hair and beauty products, but not the white products. Yes, even black hair products suffer from mass incarceration. What is this shit, huh? But still, this is great news. What Walmart is saying is what they're gonna do from now on. Hey friend, heard you were talking about Walmart. Yeah, I was Dulce, but, but how did you know? Never mind that, I got some thoughts. Okay, well, I, I wanna know how you hacked into the... Anyway, I imagine that you're pretty happy that Walmart is getting rid of this policy, right? Yes, free at last, free at last. Thank God all my black hair care is free at last. Ah. Not only did this racist-ass policy make black people look like thieves, but you know the worst part? It made every trip to Walmart 10 times longer. Wait, wh- why would it be longer? Because I had to go on a magical quest to find the person with the key who then had to unlock the cage who could finally retrieve my treasure. Ah, it felt like a black Lord of the Rings. Oh, but it's an extra 10 minutes. Why does it matter, Dulce? Let me tell you something. You know how long it takes to style natural hair? Do you know much I have to go through the magical process, the moon and stars and products that have to come together for this to grace the planet? That's time consuming. It's wash day. It's a whole day. It's pre-pooing, shampooing, deep conditioning, conditioning, and then a protective style? And then it's bad enough I gotta do all that, and then I gotta bail my hair care out of jail? No. 
Mm-mm. Wait, bail your haircut? You mean buying the products? No, nigga, it's bail. I gotta sign a piece of paper. I gotta put my house up. It's a whole thing. Well, I don't know where you're buying your hair care products, but I understand what you're saying, Dulce. I just think it's great news that the policy is ending. And I mean, I, I, I bet you'll be going to Walmart soon. Oh, I already been. And just so you know, and you know, I sent you a little something in the mail because uh, I see you need some help. You ain't got hair and makeup no more. And I see your, uh, your little quarantine baby fro. She looking kind of dry. What? Wait, wait, what do you, what do you mean it's dry? I, I used, I used the thing. Bye. No, wait, wait, Dulce, wait, what do you... Try. Hot pre-poo. When we come back, Michael Costa, Jabuki Young-White are gonna be discussing the best ways to fight for equality. So stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Over the past few weeks, millions of people have been trying to get involved in racial justice issues for the first time. People are marching, people are protesting, and they're donating money. In fact, some groups supporting the protests have gotten so much money that they're asking people to stop donating to them and donate somewhere else, which is way more altruistic than I would be if my charity was overrun with donations. I'm not gonna lie. I'd be like, we liberated all the protesters from jail. Now let's liberate that Maserati from the dealership. So with so many newcomers to the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of people are having conversations about what they can do to further the cause and what doesn't help the cause. And to move that forward, our very own Jabuki Young-White and Michael Costa had one of those very needed conversations. Michael, so many people are joining the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, including white people, which I think is ironic considering how quickly white people get onto black trends. Like, why didn't this happen earlier? Yes, go off, Jabuki. What's important though, is that we're finally all on the same page. We're fighting to end police brutality and end systemic racism. Yes, yeah, no, yeah. And now that we're all on the same page, we just can focus on making sure that everybody is taking action, you know, effective action, not just black squares on Instagram. I couldn't agree more, Jibuki. Posting a black square on Instagram does nothing. That's why I tattooed a black square onto my body. That's commitment. Why does that look like you're covering up a worse tattoo? It, it's like a third nipple, actually, that I'm covering. But but look, I'll be tattooing a black square on my body until we dismantle racism in this country or I run out of skin, whatever comes first. Yeah, okay, well, you're probably going to run out of skin first, uh, and then you'll just be in permanent blackface. Blackface? Shit. Why does everything I always do end up in blackface? Look, look forget the black square. What's important is to remind people there's still a lot you can do to help. Exactly, like protesting, donating, volunteering for campaigns. Watching The Help every day, listening to Ja Rule, text messaging your black friend, we good? Which by the way, Jabuki, we good? No, no, Mm -mm. not if that's all that you're doing, no. It's not, I'm doing more. I made a celebrity style video to show everybody how committed I am. Check, take a look at this. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. La vie de noir comp. <laughs> uh, your spirit is in the right place. 
but you know that there's a difference between symbols and nice gestures and stuff like that and then actual change and action. You know that, right? I know about change. Yeah. I'm all about change. You remember this guy? Yeah. Oh, hey. Hey, Walter. It's not Walter. I changed his name. His new name is Racism is Bad. Isn't that right? Oh, I love you so much. Racism is bad. Oh, my God. See, okay. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, what is it going to take for white people to just genuinely want action or change? Or, or wait. Hey, yeah. Costa, did you know the cops kill hundreds of dogs every year? What? Yes. And you know what? Most of them unarmed. Well, we got to defund the police then. All right. Yeah. That's not even enough. We got to abolish the police. 100%. Dad, we got to dismantle the entire military industrial complex. Oh, okay. Wait, 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 wait. I just donated all my money to the NAACP. Right. Why are we still sitting here? See, I don't even know. I don't we need know. to get out to the streets. Racism is bad. We're all going right. to Washington. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Okay. God. I knew that would work. Smart thinking, Jabuki. When we come back, we'll be talking with Republican Senator Tim Scott. Stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. My first guest tonight is the Republican Senator from South Carolina, Tim Scott. Earlier today, we spoke about leading his party's efforts on police reform in the Senate and about working with President Trump. Check it out. Senator Tim Scott, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, especially on today. Um, we saw the president of the United States come out and release what many people were surprised to see from him, uh, you know, a, a sweeping reform, in his opinion, on police force. Some people felt like it didn't go too far. For President Trump, people, some people were shocked that he even did anything at all. You were in the room. You've been part of those discussions. What did you make of today's executive order? I thought it was a good day. I thought it was a strong day for the country. I'm glad the president was willing to take up the issue that so many of us have been talking about all of our lives. And frankly, I started this journey five years ago in earnest, working on the Walter Scott Notification Act. And to be here now with the president signing an executive order that deals with some of the more important issues from the taxes like the chokehold to the importance of co-responders, those folks who have med mental health issues or addiction issues. Uh, this president has done something that almost uh, all the, uh, the folks on the other side said he would never do. And he found a path forward. And I will say thanks to the president for listening on this important issue. What I've been really intrigued by, especially in your journey, is something that you've alluded to in your tweets in that you know, there is an, this is an issue that affects all black people. You've shared your personal experiences, being pulled over by the police seven times in one year. You've shared how that affects you as a human being and how reforms need to be made. Yes. What do you think politicians on both sides of the aisle are missing in how they address these issues for black people in America? You know, I, honestly, that's a great question, Trevor. From my perspective, we, we, we are missing the... If you're talking about the institutions of authority and the power to kill you, for us to not take this issue seriously, not as politicians, but as Americans. There's a reason why the institutions of authority are losing credibility in communities of color. It's because they keep shouting about the same things and nothing changes. That is dehumanizing. 
it, it lowers all your expectations from society and it leads to a level of frustration and irritation that is really hard to handle. And so when you see these situations unfolding so many times and you finally get to the point, what in the heavens will cause a change? And frankly, had it not been for a video camera, I don't think most people would have believed that that officer had his knee on the neck for eight and a half minutes. Had it not been for a video camera, they would not have believed Walter Scott was shot in the back five times without a weapon. Had it not been the ability to record these issues, people would not believe us even to this day. And that's why, uh, I apologize for getting so excited about this issue, but it, this is something we've been working on forever, it feels like. I did a driving while black event when I was on county council 20 plus years ago. Wow. And to think of the number of people who've had to have their car surrounded because they were simply going to see their grandparents like I was. And to know that there are men and women in this country who feel like they are less than human or that they're less valuable than someone else just because of the color of their skin. So whether you love President Trump or hate President Trump, I don't care. If you love Americans, we should be thankful that we're having this conversation and making some progress in the right direction on an issue that has plagued the African-American community in the same fashion that the COVID-19 is plaguing the world. It's that serious. One thing I didn't appreciate personally was how people were tweeting at you. You know, when, when it was announced that you were going to be leading the Republican effort, people said, oh, of course, the token black guy, the one black guy, the token. And it implied in many ways that you were only getting this position, you know, because it was saving face, as opposed to the fact that you've been the person who's been pushing for this arguably the most in the Republican Party. Is, is there a way that you've managed to convince some of your colleagues to say, hey, I know that you believe that you're a law and order person, but the people who are meant to be upholding law and order are themselves breaking the law and have no order. How do you, how do you convey that message to some of your colleagues? Well, well this, this, I know law and order has so many, um, so many definitions, but if you really believe in the law and order concept, the people who believe in it most are the, is the African-American community. Frankly, what we want are laws that apply equally in this nation to every single one of us. I want to say to the kids that are coming up now, we see you. You're not invisible. I want them to understand that this country stands for them. And if I have to take the crap from people who want to call me a token, because I'm the guy that had the actual experience, I'm the one that went to the leader of the Senate and said, put me in charge, because I'm the guy that understands both how to respect the communities of color and how to cooperate and work with the law enforcement community so that there's not a binary choice. This does not work to our advantage if there's a binary choice. We actually don't need a binary choice. We need one choice. That's a lady of justice, blindfolded. That's what we need, that's what we want, and that's what everyone deserves. Let's talk a little bit about some of the reforms that you're proposing, because I read through them, and I'm not gonna lie, what really intrigued me was how a lot of the things that you've been pushing for years, a lot of the things you've been proposing for years match up with what some people would call defund the police today or abolish. And I know it's become messy, you know, everyone has a different definition of what defund means as abolish. There are a few places that are unified, but it can be messy. I wanna to talk to you about your proposals without labels. Just tell me your ideas, because I know you have some sweeping reforms that you think need to be introduced into policing in America. What would some of those ideas be? Well, the first thing I do is we, we need all the information. Frankly, the, the House bill and my bill, we have this in agreement. We wanna have all the information sent to the Department of Justice, perhaps the FBI, 
so that we know what's actually happening in the country. About 40% of departments provide information to what's happening. We want it on serious bodily injury and on death because we believe that you look at the Walter Scott situation, the George Floyd situation, and the Breonna Taylor situation, all those things that happen, those tragedies, atrocities, there's not any information. You look, you listen, you look at the incident report on Breonna Taylor, it's it blank. was basically blank and yeah. no injuries. I, so, so we've actually enhanced the penalties for false police reports in my legislation. We, we actually say, not only do we want the data, do we then want to direct officers and training through our grants so as to get to the chokehold. If you allow chokeholds in your departments, you become ineligible for those resources. And that's a good thing. And from my perspective, if we're going to have substantial systemic change that moves us in the right direction, the one thing the federal government has is the power of the purse. We don't have the ability to control the local resources, but we can control the federal grants that come into departments. And in my opinion, I would rather pay for good outcomes. And if I do that, then we've done it right, in my opinion. You are in a position that many Americans are in where they know somebody or they work with somebody who they're trying to convince to do something about the police, which inherently offends many people. Have you made any progress? And if so, how have you managed to make that progress? How do you convince somebody who sees this issue completely differently to you that this needs to be done? Well, the one thing I start with is a personal story. No one can argue and dispute your personal experience. I think it's powerful, especially as a guy who, you know, everybody says the people that get stopped are are involved in something bad. Well, I, I have taken the time and I have a list of strong, powerful, well-positioned African-Americans to include the head of police departments who have been stopped by their own departments. So what I try to do is create the narrative that this is not, it has nothing to do with your criminal past. This has nothing to do with a record. This has to do with the color of your skin. And so having the ability to have credibility on my side of the aisle to have that conversation actually engages them in a powerful way. On the other side, what I try to say to my friends on the other side is, please, do not let the police unions stop you from looking at my bill seriously. Because talking to my friends, they tell me that they're not allowed to sponsor my, my legislation because the police unions are, are afraid of it. I, I don't get it. And so on my, my side, I try to use personal stories. On their side, I try to use uh, common sense and the long view. I'm hoping, Trevor, that my bill gets a vote and, and we get it passed. The, the House bill is going to get a vote and it's going to pass. Wouldn't it be nice for us to find the 85% within the two bills? More, more resources for the, for the right reasons. Let's de-escalate to save lives. Let's have a duty to intervene so that three guys aren't watching one guy on someone's neck. Let's make sure that we're having the right conversations. Let's make sure that we're dealing with the mental health issues. We're dealing with addictions. We're dealing with uh, homelessness in a ethical manner. Let's make sure that we provide outcomes. If we can do that and we're 80% in agreement, I'll take 80. I don't need my legislation to become law. I want something that says to my nephew at 29 years old or you at 36 years old that to the next generation of Americans, we see you. If I can do that in this job that I have now, all the name calling and all the bickering and all the crap I take will be well worth it. Because someone like John Lewis made it possible for me to sit in a United States Senate building as the senator and not as a staffer. God has been good. 
We just need to make sure that it's better for people who are coming behind us. Senator Tim Scott, thank you so much for your time. Yes, sir. Have a good day. Thank you so much, Senator Scott. After the break, I'll be talking to actress and activist Gabrielle Union. Stay tuned. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with the multi-talented Gabrielle Union. We talked about the Black Lives Matter movement and the history of racial injustice it is attempting to change. Check it out. Gabrielle Union, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Thank you for having me. Um, it, it, it's quite a time to have you on the show because everyone in America is having conversations now. You know, everyone in America is having conversations that they've either been avoiding, they've either been ignoring, or they just didn't have the time to have. But because of coronavirus, everyone is having these conversations in and around race. And I feel like you're one of the people who was having some of these conversations before they were quote unquote cool. Talk me through what you're experiencing right now. Uh, it's been, honestly, it's, it's just one big anxiety attack um, between the, the global pandemic that, that you know, the world is experiencing and waking up every day to the brutalization, the, 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 the murder um, of black bodies. It, it's, it's daily. Um, the, the, the nonstop onslaught of trauma is, I don't even know if anxiety is a big enough word. I don't know if um, depression is a big enough word to encompass all of what all of, of what this all feels like. Um, it just feels like terror in my body. Um, and you try to figure out how best you can um, cope and, and then help. Conversations are being had that I didn't even think people would be having for maybe, uh, you know, five years or even 10 years. You know, yes, it started with George Floyd. That protest sparked everything. And then Breonna Taylor and, and all of these bodies, as you talk about. And then it became not just about the black people who've lost their lives, but black people who still are living their lives. Then it, it evolved from the police to, I think, people genuinely then starting to have conversations about just the environments that inherently are byproduct of systemic racism and people struggle to understand. I know a lot of pe white people who've genuinely said, I don't understand it. And I've said, be because you can't see a thing when the thing is not affecting you. You know, it's, it's, we've seen this in institutions everywhere. We've seen this all over America. And you were one of the faces that people first associated with these stories where they went, wow, I know that working in a company, I might have an issue being black and someone might say that me stick standing up for myself is me being aggressive or, or me being hyper this or being violent when, when I wasn't. You, you became one of those faces in the entertainment industry. People were shocked. They said, Gabrielle Union, you, you have it great, don't you? And yet, very quickly we realized that everyone can experience this in a different way in varying levels. Absolutely. And I, and I think uh, the, the New York Times did an article the other day about when Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper's lives sort of converged. And the fact that the Amy Cooper uh, Central Park um, situation happened on the same day as George Floyd lost his life. And you realize how far anti-blackness and the weaponization of whiteness, how far it can go. We saw what happened in that park that day. Amy Cooper did not believe that the rules and laws applied to her. And she believed that in her wrongness, she would be able to weaponize the police against the black man. She just happened to choose the wrong black man. Um, <laughs> and, and in that same vein, you see how anti-blackness 
and profiling led to George Floyd's death. So along this spectrum, we all live within this spectrum, right? So with AGT, trying to work within a system of, I thought it was the easiest show. How hard is it to, you know, juggle, you know, watch jugglers. That's what I thought I signed up for. Day one, you know, Simon Cowell is, is smoking cigarettes inside. I've worked a long time. I've worked with all kinds of people. I've never experienced that. So when your boss, the person who, is, who has the ability to determine who gets opportunities and who doesn't, doesn't believe that the law uh, applies to him or the rules apply to him, and he does it in full view of NBC and Fremantle and Psycho, and no one cares about Simon Cowell, you know, exposing all of these employees to secondhand smoke, that's day one. That's within the first hour. Mm -hmm. What message do you think that sends to anyone that has an issue with very the very real racism and the lack of accountability? And it goes on and on and on. They, you know, during the, you know, you, I, I decided to participate in this investigation that they were like, I'm going to, we're going to commission this independent investigation. Well, silly me. I thought independent was like independent. Um, but when NBC and, and Fremantle and Psycho pay for that investigation, they control it. So throughout that in investigation that I participated in, I talked about, you know, being in there for five and a half hours. And my goal is change. I'm about labor, treating employees fairly. Nobody's asking for anything special. Nobody's asking for, for somebody to separate their Skittles or their, you know, M&Ms or whatever. Just treat people fairly. Have mechanisms in place for when things happen, there are consequences. And participated in this investigation and the investigation is, was ongoing. They turn over what they believe to be inflammatory things or things that are not um, advantageous to me over to the head of NBC, Paul Telegi, who then uses those things that he thinks are, are smoking guns to like shoot down my, my claims. He then threatens my agent, Gabrielle better be better watch who she calls a racist in the middle of an investigation about racism and discrimination. This is what's happening from the top of the company. So as we're all as we're all wanting to be part of the solution, as we're all wanting change, we have to hold the people at the very top accountable. Um, let me let me ask you this question: What do you think the industry could be doing better to help black people? And I mean, on all levels, everyone from you know working in the crew all the way through to what we see on the screen. We have we have been so committed as an industry. I mean, and every industry is facing the same thing with going along to get along, trying to figure out how you work around the bad apples as opposed to addressing and making those bad apples accountable and there being real consequences. So in front of and behind the camera, so there has to be an increase in representation across the board, who from the top to the bottom, who gets to make the decisions of which projects to green light, who is a part of those development processes, who gets to determine budgets? Who gets to determine who gets opportunities and why? Who, how have you actually empowered HR? HR has become synonymous with like how um, internal affairs is looked at on cop shows. Right. Those are the bad guys. But those are actually supposed to be the departments that hold people accountable. We have to be able to be okay with change that um, doesn't always benefit us. You know, some people believe that leadership, the only way to lead 
is to center yourself in every argument. What I'm learning throughout this whole process is sometimes the best way to lead, lead is to get out of the way and make room for someone else. Mm-hmm. You have to dismantle the whole thing. It's, it's, you can't put a Band-Aid on a gunshot. You can't. Gabrielle Union, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Hopefully next time we'll be chatting about how many things move forward and we'll get to laugh a lot more. I appreciate you. No, thank you so much, Trevor. Say hi to the family for me. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, I just wanted to remind you that The Daily Show and Comedy Central have been donating to three groups who are fighting against police brutality and systemic racism. The NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the Equal Justice Initiative, and The Bail Project. Now, if you wanna join in and you have the means, then please go to the following link and donate whatever you can. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 